Father in heaven, you are the great I am. You were there before the beginning. You were be there before and after. You are everything. And we acknowledge you. We bless you. We thank you. Father, I pray that you would give me a heart to hear you, to flow with you this morning. I know I have things written down, but I don't want that to be what governs me. Spirit of God, I want you to govern me this morning. Steer me. Direct me. Bless my words, Lord. I don't want to miss you. Because we know that you have a heart for us. And Jesus, we acknowledge you here this morning and we thank you that you're, you're, president, you're present and you want to do great things among us. And we lift up your name. Everybody said together, amen. So as I said, I was going to be talking about the Father's heart this morning, and I'm going to be out of Luke, 15th chapter. I think all of us, a lot of us, are familiar with the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. And actually, Pastor Doyle preached on these set of parables from Luke chapter 15 last month in May. Great sermon. Would love you to go back and listen to it if you haven't. And Pastor Doyle was talking a lot about identity and how we see ourselves, and I think that's important. But the thing I'm going to talk about today is the Father's heart in this parable. Because I think he's showing us some things that I hope resonate with us this morning. So I'm not going to read the entire parable. Luke chapter 15 is verses 11 through 32. That's the entire parable. But I'm just going to summarize it. Can I do that? Thank you. So we know that the son, the younger of the two sons, goes to this father and says, hey, dad, I want my inheritance. I want it now. And so the father divvies up his his, 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 his estate and gives the younger son his inheritance. And the younger son takes his inheritance and moves off to a far off country. And there he starts, he squanders it. He's out there, riotous living, he's partying. You know, I like to say, man, he, the dude was in the club. He had his crystal. Girls were all over him. And he was living that life, that baller life. And after a while, he squanders the money. Money's all gone. Friends are all gone. Girls are all gone. He's alone. And he has to get a job. And he goes out and he ends up starting. He's working, feeding pigs. As a Jewish man, that has to be the most degrading job he could ever think of. And he's hungry because there's famine in the land. And he looks and he's seeing these pigs eating. He's like, man, I, man, I could eat that. And then he comes to himself. He goes, man. There are people in my father's house, servants, that are eating better than I am. I should go home, repent, 
and ask him if he would just take me back as a servant. Are we familiar with the story? Raise your hand if you're familiar with the story. And so we're going to pick up at Luke chapter 15, verses 20 through 24. That's when we're going to start reading. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, didn't even listen to his son at this point. He says, hey, quick, bring the best robe and put it on my son. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatty calf and kill it. Let's, let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. They began to party. So the first thing the Lord was showing me here is that there is nothing you can do where God is going to kick you out of his family. There's nothing you can do to disqualify you as a son. There is nothing you can do where God's going to say, yeah, no, nope. There's nothing you can do. Now, I, I want to... I want to spend a little time on this setup because sometimes we just, we kind of gloss over this. I believe that the father was very wealthy. And I believe the inheritance that the son got was so much that the son didn't feel he would have to work again in his life. I know we read it and we just think, oh, he squandered the money. I don't think he, I don't think the son took the money and thought the money's going to run out. Because I think it was a lot of money. Like, you know, let's say your dad gives you $50 million. How long would it take you to squander $50 million? Somebody in first service said a year. I was like, What? No, I think he was gone for a long time. I think he was living in a nice penthouse, driving a nice car, living a, living a, living a life for a long time. He was gone for a while. Don't think the kid was gone for six months. No, I think he was gone for a while. I think it was years. And Jesus is telling this parable to Jewish people. And so it's interesting. I want to I unpack something right quick. So the son says, okay, I recognize I need to make a change. I'm going to go back and ask my father for mercy. Now, why did he do that? Well, you know, the book of Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 through 21 kind of tells us why he's asking for mercy. Let's go there. Deuteronomy 
So Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 18 through 21, talks about how you're supposed to deal with the rebellious son. If someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of his town. They shall say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the town are to stone him to death. You know how you deal with a rebellious, drunkard, partying, money squandering son? You take him to the city gate and you stone him. And all his boys are going to be like, well, that's not going to be me. I'm, gonna... I'm not going to be that guy. Jesus is trying to help people understand the heart of the father because the son should have been stoned to death. And so that's why he's saying, hey, I'm going to ask for mercy. Maybe, the, maybe my dad won't stone me. Maybe he'll just let me be a servant. How many times do we see in the world fathers kicking their son or their daughter out of the house because they make a mistake, do something stupid? She came home pregnant, kick you out the house. I'm addicted on crack, lost all my money, kick you out the house. I'm dealing with same-sex attraction, kick you out the house. The world, when kids don't line up with how we think they should, we kick them out the house. Or we take them to the city gate and we stone them. And Jesus is saying, there is nothing you can do where God is going to kick you out of the house. There's nothing you can do where God's going to dismiss you. Oh, man, I, I, I wanted to settle on this for a second. There's nothing that God will not restore you from. There's no thing that you do if you come to him where he will not restore you. This is so important. He's about restoration first. He's not about correction first. He's about restoration. Now, I, I, I truly believe after the celebration, after the party, dad and son had a sit down. And I'm thinking that the father was talking to his son and really trying to help him understand how are we going to do this again when I give you more money? I mean, how are we going to live? But he restored him first. He didn't say, okay, son, you got to make sure you get it right before I bring you back. Come on, fathers. How oftentimes do we, we, we want to make sure the kid gets it right before we restore him? How often do we want to make sure the kid, you know, is towing the line before we bring him back? And God is saying, that's not my heart. My heart is for you to be in the family. Can I get a witness? God, there is nothing you can do where God will not restore you. 
That's his heart. That's heaven's heart, which is why when you read the parables in Luke 17, I'm sorry, Luke 15, it's all about celebration when sinners come back. Heaven wants you in the family. That's the most important thing. It's, man, I'm, man, yes, I'm, I'm fighting through this because I think, Sometimes we, because we kind of gloss over that fact. As, as church people, well, I'm in the church. But there are so many people who have made mistakes and who have left and feel that there's no way back. There's no way back to fellowship. There's no way back to the Father. And God is like, you always have a way back to me. God always makes a way back to him. He wants us. He desires us. And, and, and the first part of this parable, he's trying to help the, the, the church to know that his heart is for the lost. His heart is for those who don't know him. His heart is for those who have fallen away. And that's where our heart should be. Amen? Come on, somebody. The, the second part, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend some time talking about the elder son. Because God is pointing out here that the father is focused on reward. So what do I mean by that? Let's go to Luke chapter 15, verses 28 through 32. So we're killing the fatty calf. The party's getting ready to go down. And you got to know that, you know, the father's rich, so it's going to be a real party. There's going to be food. There's going to be drink. We're going to have a good time. This is going to be a big deal. Everybody's celebrating the son coming back. And the older son is out in the field. He's working. He's handling his business. He's doing his father's business. And he comes in, and he's hearing all the, what's all the commotion about? And one of the servants says, hey, your father's killed a fatted calf. We're getting ready to celebrate because he's back. And now the older brother is not happy. What does that tell you? <laughs> oh, wow. The older brother's not happy that his brother's back. He's actually mad. The older brother became angry because we're having a party for my brother who's back. And refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. This is verse 28. Verse 29 says, but he answered his father. So his father comes out and says, hey, son, come, by, come in. We're having a party. But he answers his father, look. Okay, man, the son is mad. Look. All these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. 
I've been faithful, and you've never celebrated me. I've been doing the work, Dad, and you never celebrated me. And the Lord was showing me that in the church, a lot of us are really focused on being celebrated. There are some people in here right now left your last church because they didn't celebrate you the way you felt they should have celebrated you. Man, I was running the children's ministry and they didn't never brought me up and thank me. I was, I was leading this and I did this program and I didn't get any, the pastor didn't even say thank you. And the Lord was showing me that it's not about being, having a desire to be celebrated. That's not bad. It's being offended if you're not. To allow the lack of being celebrated to offend you. The enemy wants to use that to disqualify you. He wants us to be focused on getting likes and people telling us what a great job we do. And, oh, boy, I did a great job. Take me to dinner. Oh, I did a great job. Celebrate me. Oh, I did a great job. Throw me a party. But you will never see God celebrating you for doing a good job. Okay. God doesn't throw you a party because you were faithful. Because God isn't into celebrating being faithful. You know what God wants to do when you're faithful? He wants to reward you. He wants to increase you. He wants to give you more. But if you allow yourself to be focused on being celebrated, well, Jesus talks about that type of person in Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read it. I don't know if it's up here. I don't, don't worry about it. I'm going to read it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Stop. If you are so focused on being celebrated for what you do, the Father will not reward you. This son was mad because his father didn't celebrate him. Verse 2, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Verse 3, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He's not going to celebrate you. He's going to reward you. Now, it's real interesting because Jesus breaks this down even more in Luke 17. I 
I've been feeling one of the things God wants to go to war on in his body is this natural fleshly desire to be celebrated. I do things so people can recognize me. Oh, man, it's quiet up in here. Maybe, maybe it's just me. Maybe that's, maybe that's just my problem. But there's this fleshly desire to be celebrated. I do so that people can recognize me. That's how I know I'm successful in what I'm doing. Because people recognize and celebrate the work and job I do. Is that true? Is that true? But Jesus says something very clear. In, this, in, in, in Luke chapter 17, verse 5, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus is, is, is teaching the disciples how faith works. He said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Now, suppose, now, okay, so he's saying this is faith. Now, he's helping us understand how we're supposed to interact with faith. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? After the servant's been out doing his job, will the master say to the servant, wow, now let's come down and eat. Let's eat together. Let's celebrate what you just did out in the field. He said, will, will, will you do that? He said, no. Won't he rather say, won't this person rather say to the servant, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me. You're the servant, I'm the master. You wait on me. And while I'm eating and drinking, after that, you may eat and drink. Like, no, we're not going to celebrate you doing your job. You're just going to do your job. <laughs> Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? Are you going to thank him, servant, for doing your job? No. Now that's, hey, listen, that is hard word. Because we feel that we should be thanked when we do a good job, don't we? Okay, it's just me. I just feel that way. I just want to be acknowledged. I did a good job. Thank me. And, God, and Jesus, is, he's trying to get us, a, he's trying to create a kingdom paradigm in his children. Because let's make sure you're clear. You're not a servant. You're a son. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? Now, verse 10 is key. So you also. When you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Now, this is an amazing paradigm shift. I'm a son. And Jesus is saying to me as a son, don't sit up here all lofty and happy because you're a son and don't, and don't act like people owe you anything because you're a son doing your job. 
You should actually be like, man, Lord, I'm unworthy to even be a part of this thing. And I'm thankful that you're giving me something to do. I'm thankful that I get an opportunity to run the children's ministry, whether anybody says anything to me about it or not. I'm thankful that I can go out on the street and minister to people, and, and, if, and if anybody says anything to me or they don't say anything to me, I'm just thankful that I get to do that. I'm thankful that I get to do kingdom work on your behalf, Father. How many of us are thankful that we get to do work for him, or are we really doing work because we want people to tell us how good we are and how, what a great job we're doing? God is saying here, listen, don't have a hypocritical attitude about service because I don't reward that. But if you're faithful, I reward that. So what does reward look like in the kingdom? It's increase. I mean, you go to Matthew chapter 25, and Jesus says to the, to the servants with talents, well done, my good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I want to make you master over many things. How many of us are more concerned about increase and kingdom influence than we are about being celebrated by the world? And God wants us to get into a mindset of being faithful, kingdom-minded children, because that is what he rewards. Now, here's the other thing that he says to the son that's amazing. He says to the son, hey, listen, son. I have been with you this whole time. And everything I have is yours. Whoa. If you wanted a party, bro, all you had to do was ask for a goat. Everything I have is yours. You want a party? Just ask. Let's go. How many goats you want? How many people you want to come over? Let's do this. Let's, let's plan this party. But don't expect me to celebrate you because that's not what I do. But you know what I do as your father? I reward you. And I guarantee because this kid had been spending time with his dad, his dad was giving him more to do. I am sure that the older brother had been faithful with his father. And so the father was giving him more to do. Year one, he's responsible for 100 acres. Man, son, good job. Next year, you're going to be over 200 acres. Year three, he's over five or six or 700 acres. He's doing so much more because that's what the father does. And if we have a world attitude, what will happen is we will not receive the reward that the father wants to give us. Man, I hope this is landing with some of some of us this morning because I think there's a lot of people who are not walking in the metrons that God wants them to walk into because they have been offended by not being celebrated. There is, there, is, there is kingdom work for a lot of us to do that God wants to move us into, but we haven't moved into that yet because we've been waiting for the pastor to tell us we've been doing a good job. Whoa. 
But God's like, listen, I reward. I reward in secret. I don't, you know, I might give you more to do and nobody will know. You know when you'll know? When you're standing before Jesus and he's giving out all the final stuff. When you're in front of Jesus and he's giving out all the final, he's giving the final rewards out. That's when you'll know. It's like, wow, why did that lady over there that I've never seen and nobody said anything have this super big crown? Because he was faithful doing the things that the father told her to do and wasn't necessarily concerned about people knowing who she was. God is a rewarder. He wants to reward us. And he's showing his, the second son the importance of that. Amen? The third thing, and the final point, as I'm trying to land this, this, this plane, and you, and you know the joke when the pastor says he's getting ready to land a plane, you got another hour. <laughs> We're circling the airport. <laughs> One of the most important things is that the father desires proximity. He wants to be close. The reason I believe Jesus tells the, the story that the kid went to another country is that he was too far for the father to touch him. I mean, if he had given him the inheritance and he just went down the street, eh. But no, he left. He was outside of his father's presence. And when we read this parable, we often think when he says, my son was dead and now he's alive, he was lost and now he's found, we typically view it through the lens of, oh, well, he was out there, he was a drunkard, and he came home. But I don't believe that's what Jesus is saying here. Because being proximate to the Father is life. Being separated from the father is death. Like, this kid could have gone to a far-off country and not squandered the money, and he would have still been dead. Ooh. Did you catch that? The father wants proximity because proximity to the father is life. Proximity to the Father is direction. The Father wants to be close to his Son because he knows that with him, the Son is alive. Apart from him, the Son is dead. The world, those who don't know God, the reason they're dead is because they're not proximate to him. The reason Jesus came to give us life is because Jesus wants us to be proximate to the Father. Are you tracking with me here? It's, 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 man, proximity to the Father is so important. Like being close to him is so important. And I, you know what? Unfortunately, there are a lot of people 
who say they know the Father, but they don't spend any time with him. They're not proximate to him. And they wonder why ministry is dead. They wonder why they may be rudderless or directionless in their life. It's not because God isn't there. It's because they're not trying to be proximate to him. They're not trying to be close. And the Lord was saying, you know, closeness isn't necessarily, yeah, we got to read our Bible. We got to spend time in the word. That's not it. But sometimes closeness, sometimes God just wants you to just be there with him. Put on some worship music, lift your hands and say, Lord, man, I'm just thankful that we're together. Download, talk to me. Natural fathers, it's important that we're just proximate with our kids. Sometimes you don't have to say anything to them. You just need to be there. And one of the reasons that a lot of this generation is rudderless is because they never had fathers who were proximate, so they don't understand how to be proximate to the Father in heaven. And so for us fathers who are dealing with kids who have been fatherless, we need to try to show them what it means to be proximate to the father, to get their directions from the father. I guarantee that the son who had stayed is more like the father than the kid who left. Because the more time you spend with God, the more you become like him. The more time you spend with him, the more you begin to understand who you were made to be, what you were made to do. We were never designed to be rugged individuals doing it on our own. You know, you see that, you know, in the, in the world. Well, you know, when I became of age, my father kicked me out of the house and just told me to go do it on my own. And I did it on my own. And we somehow think that's a hero. That's not, that's not godly. Because God doesn't, God never intended you to do it by yourself. God has always been about relationship. Come on, somebody. God has always been about closeness. He's always been about us. You and me together. Co-laborers together. Co-heirs. God wants to be close. He wants to be proximate. And the more we understand who we truly are as children of God, who we were made to be, what we were made to do, then the world will begin to see Jesus. Let's turn with me to John chapter 17. John chapter, excuse me, John chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus said, my prayer is not for them alone. He's talking about his disciples. My prayer is not just for them. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, 
just as you are in me and I am in you. Can you be more proximate than that? I'm in you, you are in me. Jesus has given us this picture. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Wow. This is the final point I want to make on this. God wants us to be proximate to him. He wants to be in us. He and Jesus want us to be in them. And then they, they want us to be in unity. As I'm in God and he's in me and then we're in unity, the world is going to know that God sent Jesus to the world. One of the things, man, God's been showing me, the reason the enemy is so bent on division in the church is because it steals our witness. If we're going to sit here and bicker about denominational issues, Protestant, Catholic, it steals our witness. There's no Protestant church or Catholic church. There's no black church or white church. This is the church. And to the degree we recognize that that's what Jesus wants, then that's when the world is going to see something different. We have to get out of this, you know, getting caught up in political differences and, and denominational differences because it gets in the way of the world seeing Jesus. And God wants the world. God wants the world. He wants everybody. None should perish. Anybody sitting? No, God wants everybody. Jesus wants everybody. He wants everybody. He wants everybody to be his kid. He wants everybody to be in the family. He wants everybody. It's not like, well, I don't like that, those people over there, so they can't be in the family. That, that, no, that's not how God works. That's broke theology if you got that one. No, God wants everybody. And he wants his church, family, to be raised up in unity so that people that don't know him have a desire to know him. You want to figure out how you start changing the world? Let's get unified. Let's come together. Let's be true brothers and sisters. Let's be under the same daddy. Because that's his heart. His heart. He wants everybody. He wants a family. I mean, think about it. In the beginning... He created us to be commune with him. He wants that. He created us to commune with him and be like him. Wow. God wants us to be in relationship with him and come to a unity as believers. He wants the world to know he wants the world to know God is like I sent Jesus for you so that you could have a relationship with the Father. Everything else is secondary church. Everything else is secondary. God wants you to know one thing. The only thing you can do keeps you from being his kid. 
he wants to restore you. Number two, he wants to reward you. He wants to break the mindset that we need to be recognized and celebrated for doing a good job for the kingdom. And we want to be more focused on being rewarded for what we do for the kingdom. And number three, God wants a family. He wants to be proximity to us, and he wants us to be in unity with each other so that the world we know. Amen. Stand to your feet this morning. I have a plea for, for a couple of things. One, there are people who might be in here and be like, man, I don't know the Lord, but I want to be in his family. God is calling you right now and say, come in. I want you to be my child. I want you. I sent my son Jesus so that you could be part of the family. If that's you, I want you to pray with me this morning. But there's another group. There are people here that, for whatever reason, have gone to a far-off country. Feeling like you can do it by yourself. And here's the thing that the Lord was showing me. He said, there are people who are doing it on their own, who are in a far off country, but they're not squandering away the money. They're not, they're not living a reprobate life. They're not living with prostitutes and blah, blah, blah. They're just separate. They're feeling they got to do it all by themselves. And the father is saying this morning, come back home. Get proximate to me. Come to me. The prayer team's going to come up right now, and I want to pray for both of those people that I called out. If you don't know Jesus, don't leave here without accepting him in your heart. And if you've been living a life in another country, separate from the Father, not in fellowship, not really leaning in with him, I want to you to know that the Lord is calling you back this morning. Our Father wants to put his arms around you and bring you in and let you know how much he loves you. He wants to put that robe on your back and, and that ring on the finger and let you know, man, you're my son. You're here with me. I, we're here. I, man, we're in this together. We're in this together. So repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I come to you in recognition that I need you. I believe in my heart and I am professing with my mouth that you are Lord. Come into my heart, Jesus. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. And help me live my life for you.
Now, Lord, I want to speak to the to the to the prodigals. I want to speak to those who are separate from you. I want to speak to those who are who are who are not as close to you, Lord. And I just want to speak a blessing over them, Lord. I I thank you that you're calling us closer. Let your spirit move with force to 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 sweep us up and to bring us in and to and to show us who we are in you. And Lord, help us to live as people who desire unity in the body. Help us to throw off things that separate us and, 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 and cast off worldly ideas and notions about who we are as individuals and help us to seek your face and then to move closer into you. Because our desire, Lord, is to be your children and let the world know and recognize us by our love. Now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May he shine his face brightly over you and grant you his peace, the shalom, where nothing's missing, nothing's broken, and nothing is lacking. These prayers we lift in your name, Jesus. We all sit together. Amen. Our, our worship team or our prayer team is going to be up here. If you need prayer, please don't leave without getting somebody to speak into your life. We love you. God loves you. And there is nothing you can do about that. Have a great Father's Day.